Hello, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Pokor. This is episode 14, recorded on September 3rd, 2020. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EVREVSHOW. All right. Well, welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. My name is Kenneth Bocor, your host. Thanks for taking the time to listen. I'm also recording this for video purposes, and I'll put some of these segments up on my YouTube channel as well, because I have a really exciting guest today. As you folks know, I, I like to get smart people on the show. I have a gentleman by, by the name of Dan Blundell, Blundell, who's the CEO and director of Nano One Technologies, or a company based in Vancouver. He's an engineer, uh, of course, CEO of the organization, has an extensive background with many other tech industries, high growth technology marketplaces, medical, and so forth. He's got not only some engineering background, but just to add to his smartness, some physics and business knowledge as well. Um, and taking this company in new directions and with, you know, with things happening in the EV marketplace, I thought it was great to have a conversation with a Canadian success story. Thank you, Dan, for taking the time to join me and welcome to the show. Thanks, Ken. It's great to be on a Canadian show, too. Yeah, thank you for that plug. I'm very proud. There's not many of us that do what I do from a Canadian marketplace. So, uh, you know, with, with Tesla's battery day coming up and all the buzz around that, it was great that we were able to hook up and have this conversation to highlight what you folks do and then and then pick your brain and get your opinion about some of the things going on leading up to battery day and what's going on in the EV marketplace. So, uh, you know, it really is quite timely for that. Now, maybe you could tell me a little bit more about Nano One and what you guys do. Yeah, sure. So uh, Nano One is an industrial technology company. We're developing processes to make the cathode materials that go into lithium-ion batteries. Um, and just so you know, the cathode material um, is a is a is a uh, composite mixture of lithium, nickel, magnesium, cobalt. It all gets uh, processed into essentially a black powder at the end of the day. Um, uh, looks very much like coffee grounds, and that um, uh, that will eventually get spread onto a piece of thin piece of aluminum foil and either wrapped or folded into a cell that you'd find in the back of your phone or or or, or a whole bunch of cells um, ganged together in a, in a battery pack in a car. So, and our focus is on the on the cathode materials itself, the process for assembling the lithium and the nickel and the manganese, and also the, um, uh, obviously the resulting material that comes out of it. So the cathodes, can you explain to me in layman's terms, why are they important in, in, you know, in battery packs and battery cells? So maybe the first thing is, is to, to say is that the, the cathode is dominated, the cost of the cathode is really dominated by the materials coming in, whether it's the lithium, the nickel, the cobalt. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you add it all up, the cathode in any given cell is probably a quarter to a third of the cost of the cell itself. So it's the most expensive component in the battery. It's also the most complex um, um, material in there because it has this composite mixture, sometimes of three or four metals with coatings and additives and all kinds of pixie dust in it to make it do what it's uh, do its magic. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, so looking at those those chemistries as you talked about, and then as you you said earlier about the process uh, revolved around the manufacturing side, being able to not only make those processes 
uh, more cost-effective organizations. Uh, but what are some of the other benefits that can be gained through that? Well, certainly we're, we're tackling cost effectiveness and, and that's partly through the, through the, the process of how we, how we uh, work in this. I mean, we, we, look at, uh, we look at the raw material supplies. So lithium, of course, comes in various forms. It comes as a carbonate or hydroxide. Nickel comes in the form of a, of a sulfate and, 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 and hydroxides and carbonates. And each one of these have their sort of different properties and, and can be handled different ways at the, at the front end of the chemical process. So we're trying to find ways that help lower the cost of the input materials. We're building... Um, uh, sort of uh, scaled up designs so that uh, so the volumes can help reduce costs and reduce we're actually eliminating the waste streams that are common to to cathode manufacturing so typically they have these um, sulfate based forms of the metal coming in and the sulfates a waste you don't need it but it's part of the chemical process and so we found a way to completely eliminate the sulfate so it kind of it kind of speaks to the whole need for sort of environmental sustainability as well yeah. so there's, you know, there's a cost and environmental sustainability part of it that's tied to the manufacturing and then and then we also look at the performance side of things and that is really for us that's around durability how do you make these materials more durable and we we're, we're designing ways to coat the materials without adding steps and uh so that they actually last long that's really the key and you know that's a great point with uh you know the chatter about you know elon talking about the million dollar a million mile battery pack you know durability is something that more and more people are thinking about you know we buy the average internal combustion car it'll last 10 years. I think most people will agree with that, but a lot of people aren't sure about EVs and the technology, especially the, the cells, the degradation that everybody hears about, you know? Um, so, so that mission of, of durability is certainly important. And I think you mentioned as well, also from a performance about trying to, to get, you know, bigger bang for less dollar from a battery pack, you know, increased uh, density storage. Is that correct as well? Yes. So, so obviously there's a, there's a, there's this mark of trying to get under hundred dollars a kilowatt hour at the battery pack level. And, uh, and that, of course that requires driving the cost down and the performance of all the materials in it, including the cathode material. Um, so, uh, on the process side of things, we're trying to drive the cost down, but we're using the process also to improve the, improve the, the kilowatt hour side of the equation. And, and that's not just the amount of energy you use on a day to day basis between charges, but it's also the amount of energy you use over the lifetime of the battery. How many cycles do you get out of the battery before it degrades to a point where it's really not practical to use it anymore. So, um, uh, uh, the, the focus for us is largely on, on the durability component. How do you make that battery last longer? And if you can make a, if you can make it last long, yeah, you could turn it into a million mile battery and that'll serve the, that'll serve the fleet vehicles and the bus guys uh, really well. Um, if you shrink that battery way down, it'll also serve the, uh, serve the, the entry level market where the batteries are, are good enough for one day and you have to charge and discharge them really, really regularly. So uh, those are, it, it just makes the battery more robust by making the underlying uh, materials more more durable and it, it, it can extend the range it can extend the uh, it, it can actually you can actually charge the battery faster um, because the material is more durable it can actually just take a bigger beating and uh, which means you're not going to lose as much capacity over time by charging it uh, fast so so these become really key things for the OEMs and for the car manufacturers to build into their battery packs Absolutely. You know, um, putting that down into kind of just basic terms for some of the listeners and people that are watching this uh, that are interested in EVs, what is a typical cycle today for charging and discharges in most you know, mainstream battery packs and, and, you know, versus where you think we can get to? So, um, uh, so a typical battery pack um, 
you know, if you're charging and discharging it uh, on, on an hourly basis, that's considered um, uh, somewhat aggressive. And, and a lot of the testing that gets done gets done at that kind of level, kind of maybe the 60 minute level or maybe maybe even 30 sec, a 30 minute level. Anything faster than that starts to you start to see losses. And if you charge it too fast, you, you just you can't store as much energy in it. And then, which means you can't get as much energy out, but it also has uh, has some impact on the on the on the dirt on the um, longevity of the material. So, some a little bit of damage gets done, and you can't quite store as much energy each time. So, uh, so once you start to get go faster than thirty minutes or twenty minutes, you start to hit these kinds of thresholds. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and certain materials, uh, certain types of cathode materials, are actually really good at charging fast, um, but they may not have the capacity. So, we we have a we work on three different kinds of materials. One is what's what we call lithium iron phosphate, and that's kind of more industrial application, very long-lasting um, material, uh, a very safe material, and and the cheapest of all the all the, the uh, lithium iron batteries. The stuff that you see in your car today, an MC battery, will typically have a, a thousand cycles to it, and uh, and you start to see degradation in the battery when you when you start to go when you're charging at at a rate of you know 20 minutes, let's say. So, you know that's a, uh, that's a very aggressive rate um, on the battery itself. And, and then we have a material that we're working on that has no cobalt in it and, and has applications in sort of next generation batteries. And it sees no impact uh, if you're charging it in six minutes, for instance. So it has very, very fast charging rates. Uh, but of course, uh, you don't get anything for free in the battery world. There's a world of trade-offs. So uh, every time you see a, a, you know, a really good characteristic on one side of it, it's going to have an impact on some other part of the battery. Absolutely. Now, uh, and you guys have relationships in in all these products that you just mentioned with companies like BYD and VW and Tesla um, on the NMC. uh, I mean, BASF, Samsung, I'm just looking at your line card here with some of your your stats. Pretty impressive. Panasonic, Apple. I mean, you know, you you guys are proving yourselves in the partnership that you've established. Yeah, maybe just to clarify that. I mean, those are those with the names you've uh, read off are largely the the the. that's what the whole landscape looks like. Um, uh, really, we only have sort of announced partnerships with a selective few numbers of those. So, so that would be uh, Volkswagen. Um, uh, there's a large Chinese cathode producer called Gulid. We signed on a another very a large uh, non-Chinese Asian uh, cathode producer just uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and these are all in the form of what we call a joint development uh, agreement, where we are jointly working on the next gen kind of cathode material, next gen production plant um, to make that material. Excellent. And, you know, just lastly, before we kind of get on to some more of the industry stuff, um, you know, you guys are predicting that this is a $23 billion market uh, by 2025 or when that, I mean, that, that is mind boggling. Uh, I know that EVs are growing in popularity. Uh, we are, you know, slowly, the, the wave has started, the tsunami has started, but it's going to take a while, you know, in my opinion, a couple of decades to maybe where we can get into a sales tipping point on EVs versus uh, ICE fees globally because it's a big number. Uh, but you know, how, is that is that you know that's a big number? How do you explain that? Well, I mean, uh, um, so electric. Uh, you know, uh, first of all, lithium-ion batteries are being used in, in a variety of different applications, but that's going to be largely dominated by the electric vehicle market for now. Uh, you know, eventually, I, I think the grid storage market, the you know, storing energy from renewables like wind and solar, um, uh, that's going to dwarf uh, even even the vehicle battery market because they're just much bigger batteries. But for now, it's going to be electric vehicles that will largely drive that. 
and um, and the adoption will be on the industrial side. It'll be on the consumer side, and uh, you know the predictions range anywhere from 25 to 44 million cars uh, a year um, in that kind of in that time frame, and um, in that kind of the second half of the decade. I think we're going to see somewhere in that range, and so that 23 mil that 23 billion dollars in cathode materials represents about. A quarter to a sixth of the of the of the battery market because it is the you know it is the expensive component going into the cell itself and that's uh, that's where that number comes from. Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I wanted to chat with you because you had mentioned some topics that uh, you thought would be of interest to have a conversation. Um, and uh, I think we've already kind of talked about the million mile battery a little bit about you know durability why it really is so important um, than uh, you know than reaching. It's more important, really, durability than reaching that million miles in battery. I think you've kind of touched upon. Yeah. But is there anything else to add to that? No, I, th- I think actually it's, it's a pretty quick thought exercise. Um, you know, a million mile batteries for the average driver who's doing 40, 50 kilometers a year. I don't know if it's the exact math, but the last time I worked it out, that's 75 years of driving. So <laughs> really practically speaking, I think it's, um, it makes a great tagline, the million mile battery. And I yeah. think and then people understand, oh, this thing's, this thing's going to last forever. I don't need to worry about it. I can, you know, I can, I can charge it really fast and I don't need to worry about it. So I think it gets the concept across really quickly. Uh, but the but really the underlying thing is that it's durable, and it's that durability that uh, that can that can provide you know either this super you know, long lasting million mile battery or something that charges in six minutes or something that uh, um, uh, something you can drive an extra fifty kilometers every day. Uh, you know these are all the benefits that uh, that will actually trickle down to the consumer, or or it might be it might be the the, the battery that drives the the robo taxi that's uh, that's you know that's on the road for twenty four hours a day as opposed to you and I who drive for you know thirty minutes today so yep. that's uh uh you know and those those batteries just need to be more durable absolutely correct yeah and that as you said you know it gives an additional vote of confidence to consumers in the technology and if we're talking to consumers about switching from you know traditional vehicles to all electric or or mainly or you know plug-in uh, hybrids as well electric um you know that is one conversation well gee will this thing die on me in five years you know just by going back and forth we have harsh winters all that stuff so it's great that that we're working towards being able to even accelerate that aspect of it yes yes absolutely agree um uh, jeffrey don you know everybody knows him the kind of one of the gurus in the in the uh, ev marketplace canadian as well he's part of tesla's research group and and you know i know that the group's um Research paper last fall discussed a battery cell with a single crystal uh, NMC cathode that could last over a million miles. Um, you've got something that in your coded nanocrystals. You might have touched upon a, a little bit that aids in this process. Can you explain that a little bit more for me? Without being too technical, you get a little technical if you want, because I know I have viewers that love this stuff. Uh, um, maybe I'll give you give it a bit of background on, on Jeff Don's paper, because it, it was a, it's a brilliant paper. It's very well put together. Um, it's three years of of exhaustive research, um, and it's it's mostly centered around the electrolyte um, that goes in the battery that connects the two electrodes that allows lithium to go back. It was a liquid form today, if I'm not mistaken, right? That, that, well, yeah, that is correct. It, it, actually, electrolytes can be in a liquid form, in a, in a polymer, kind of a plastic-based form, or, or a ceramic type of form as well. And and uh, all three of those have existed for some time, but the, the, the by far the most commercial application is the liquid form for now. And... Um, 
and uh, and maybe we'll get to the topic of solid state batteries later, which is, has to do with those solid electrolytes. Yeah, but yeah. for now, uh, Jeff Don's um, uh, research has primarily been focused on the on the electrolyte and and finding electrolytes that uh, that can last longer and help uh, help the battery be more durable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the it, it's not the only failure component in the battery. Of course, there's an anode and there's a, and there's a cathode as well. So. Um, the it's kind of long been known that if you can create um, these powders of cathode material, so that each grain of powder is 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 uh, is not an agglomeration of crystals, but one big crystal, that it's more it's it's more likely to last long. It's not going to break apart as you as you cycle it, and if you can coat it with something um, to to prevent it from reacting with the surrounding electrolyte, it'll also last longer. So this idea of a coated single crystal uh, concept has been around for a while. The, the, the materials that, that Jeff Don used in, his, um, in, in this um, paper came from a, a source in Asia. Um, and so they, they made these materials. They're not Jeff Don's materials, um, um, but he put them in the battery because he wanted to put the best of everything, the best anode and the best cathode. And then he tested it with a whole bunch of different electrolytes to find out which ones work best. And what he came up with is a combination of electrolytes and cathode and, you know, uh, existing cathode and anode materials that, that really set the bar well, set the part at a million miles and says, this is, you know, if we can manage to find a way to commercial, make a commercial battery like this, this is where the bar needs to be set. So that's the, that's kind of the beauty of what he's done is he, he said, okay, look, um, uh, these things may be expensive. They may not be commercially viable quite yet, but here's the best of the best. And this is what we all have to be striving for. And, and if, if you read the paper, which I have, that's essentially what it comes down to. And, and he's, he's brought some novel electrolytes to the table to, to really make that happen. And that's kind of where, uh, where his, uh, his efforts are. So that's the, that's the underlying um, uh, mechanism um, that you know, led to his uh, his conclusions and results, and it so happened to play very well into into Nano One's um, uh, court, and that's because literally three weeks before that, we were issued a patent um, uh, describing a a coated nanocrystal or a coated um, uh, monocrystal. Uh, and now we have a slightly different approach the way we make it, and the material comes out slightly different, but we've carved out a really nice little niche there. And, and uh, But but listen, I, I can go into a little bit more detail, but maybe I'll let you ask a question or two um, regarding yeah. that. And that approach you have, that you have kind of meets, you know, takes the same, provides the same benefits, as you mentioned. You might be a little, slightly different approach, but the end results are very similar. Yes, so we, we actually, um, we published some data in June uh, that shows a four times increase in the durability of the material with and without the coating. So, so there's a, exactly the same kind of um, uh, sort of kind of results, not as exhaustive of a research program as Jeff Don, but then, uh, uh, but then we're, uh, we're a commercial uh, entity. So that's Any a- research you can get done during a pandemic isn't too bad, right? <laughs> yeah, but, but I, think, I think the salient point to take from it is that we have a, we have a um, we have a commercially viable way of making these materials. When you make these, uh, the, the single crystal materials that Jeff Don used, um, uh, they're not really all that commercially viable. Uh, they can be made, and and people have known about them for a while. And I think he got it out of a source in China uh, that that made these for him. But at the end of the day, um, they're they take a long time to make. Uh, they're very difficult. They're not. Uh, uh, there's all kinds of failure that happens in making them. You got to spend a long time in a furnace to cook them, 
Um, and we've did, we found a way to, to assemble all these molecules, make these uh, coated nanocrystals. We don't have to code in a second step and, um, and we're able to do it at a cost that's actually quite similar to normal cathodes. And so that's the key is that having a commercially viable way to scale these up um, is, uh, is at the core of, of, of our exciting sort of uh, moves in this direction. Well, that's, that's great to hear because I totally agree with you. That is the key. Um, people who watch my show and listen to the podcast know that I'm all about trying to accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles where it makes sense into people's lives. I know in some cases, you know, the use case isn't there, whatever the needs are from a transportation is, is over and above what EVs can do today. But I know we're going to get there eventually. And having something commercially viable today can really help because we do need to accelerate that transition for various reasons. Uh, I was on a, a podcast earlier where we talked about the health benefits of EVs. There's direct correlation to, you know, uh, health benefits uh, in, in high traffic areas like the 401 corridor here in Toronto area and other populous uh, urban areas. There's all kinds of stuff out there to that we, we need to accelerate. So, oh, you, know, yeah, I mean, years, you know, when it's when you say because it's nice to talk about these pipe dreams, but, you know, if they're 10 years away, uh, you know, we've got to do things a little quicker. Well, I mean, the, 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 the evidence before us is what's happening in China. I mean, they, they've just, they've, uh, I think next year, one half of the cars that are sold in Beijing have to be electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. And, and essentially what they've done, what they're doing is they're decarbonizing their cities. Uh, we all know about the smog problems there over the years. And, 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 uh, and of course, that has, that has sort of political um, uh, ramifications as well, as, as well as health ramifications. And so they're very, very incented to, to do that. And, and, and you know, they have this, this very, uh, of course, they put the incentive programs in place and they penalize uh, uh, people who buy sort of internal combustion engine cars. So it really does actually move people towards electric vehicles. But uh, uh, they also put the infrastructure in between cities uh, with high-speed electric trains. Uh, yeah. And all of that is, uh, leads to kind of no-carbon future. So, yeah, it's, it's happening. It may not be happening in North America as fast as it is in other places, but it is there and it is very possible to do. Absolutely. You know, and more mass transit and all the things that they're doing. You know, there was a, a study that I read or somebody told me about, about, you know, uh, like BYD buses as an example. You know, one like I think China put 450,000 buses or something like that over a period of time. They probably have more now, but that equated to the elimination of about 20 million vehicles when you look at a, a greenhouse gas emission. So, uh, you know, plus or minus some some number, but that's huge. I mean, the benefits are huge. So you're absolutely right, Dan, you know, uh, that they are being very aggressive. And to put that in perspective, you know, the global plug-in market last year, the global uh, uh, internal sales overall of all vehicles and light uh, trucks was about 75-ish million globally and 2.3, 2.2, 2.4, however you skin that, was EVs or something with a plug, anything that has a plug to charge a vehicle. China has uh, about 35 million of that marketplace. And for you to say they're wrapping to 50% shortly, that is a huge, huge gain for them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean... You know, and of course, the driving experience is different in China. I mean, not uh, you know, obviously driving's driving, but the you know they've only got their their drivers are only one generation old, you know, at best. Yeah. And um, and of course, because they have the the uh, the transportation hubs now between cities, um, the you know the the uh, they're not necessarily looking for the range on a day to day basis. And 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 there's a lot of vehicles driving around there. There's an electric vehicle in China that's a ten thousand dollar. Uh, uh, it's a ten thousand dollar car with a hundred and fifty kilometer range that uh, is powered by lithium iron phosphate, uh, uh, and it, it addresses you know probably ninety five percent of most people's driving needs. It's uh, it's it's 
it's a two seater <laughs> and it, you know, it's got, it's, it's certainly got its, um, its downsides, but, uh, as a, as a utility, um, it's a, it's a fantastic, um, uh, notion. And apparently it's one of the best selling cars there. Yeah. Um, and they've got lots of vendors. I just put out a show before we went to air on this, uh, talking about Electromechanica, another, uh, yeah. based company. I've been following them for several years, talked to their CEO a few years ago. They finally are into production of the solo vehicle. Again, a one person, you know, just going around urban transport, right? Uh, really cheap to operate. Candy, uh, of course, vehicles have now come into the U.S., which and they're already starting to take that by storm. Again, bringing that affordability. Yeah, I can give you a $25,000 or less EV that gets you 200, uh, you know, 100 miles safely, 150 miles. Why not, right? Uh, yeah, no, not for sure. Now, you mentioned on some of the chemistries earlier, um, you know, what uh, cobalts are lessening and some of the importance there. And, and of course, Elon is talking about sustainable nickel a lot that, you know, he wants environmentally uh, sensitive nickel mining for battery production. Uh, that's very relevant to Canadian marketplace for those listeners and viewers that don't know. We are a big provider of nickel uh, globally as, as a leader there. Um, I'm telling people to, to buy nickel stock, but we won't get into that right now from us talking analysis because I think it's going to go up. But um, you guys have a play in there uh, in your manufacturing process. What is all that about? Yeah, uh, well, maybe just to back up to the chemistries again. So, so our process is is our, our it's, it's a platform technology. So we can assemble virtually any type of cathode material there is. Um, so we're we're pretty well hedged against you know which direction it, it goes, whether it's going to be predominantly nickel or predominantly iron based um, uh, cathode materials, whether or not the cobalt is completely weaned out or not. Um, we have kind of our, our we have our fingers in, in in any number of chemistries. So that includes lithium iron phosphate, which I mentioned before, which is the it's the safest, cheapest, longest lasting of all the batteries nmc which is the higher the highest energy density so you get the more sort of the bet the best kind of range out of a material like that and then we've also got um, materials uh that are cobalt free that are based on nickel and manganese but no cobalt and and those are super fast charging and very good for uh for solid state type of applications also, aluminum um, becoming much a bigger of a play into this yeah, you know it? well aluminum is really key as, as a as a as what we call a coating or an additive um in the material so so Tesla has a, a nickel cobalt aluminum based uh, 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 battery material. It's also got lithium in it. Just um, it's often just referred to as NCA. But we're seeing the convergence of the NMC and the NCA into the same thing because most NMC materials now are, are coated with uh, with aluminum. Maybe even uh, uh, they're using aluminum as an additive, and uh, so they're going to converge really into the same kind of material. They're very similar families of materials. So uh, aluminum definitely plays a key component there, but kind of only in the two, three, four percent range of of the of the of the material. What we have seen is is because of the supply chain risk and the and the cost of cobalt. Um, uh, that uh, the automotive companies are trying to thrift out as much of that cobalt as possible. In, in the NMC families, the cobalt's really key. It's, it's actually, it's really important. You take all the cobalt out and the nickel gets really unstable. The, the nickel wants the cobalt around. Um, uh, so the more cobalt that you take out, the more you have to replace it with something else. So you have to replace it with aluminum or you have to replace it with some other material um, in order to, to, to sort of re-stabilize it. So um, it's, hard to get rid of, it's hard to get rid of the cobalt. It's a stability agent, and also, is it not to do to deal with the heat uh, thermal properties? Cobalt as well. Well, y- yes, that that is true. So, so to some degree, the, the 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 more nickel you have in it, the uh, the lower the thermal runaway uh, temperatures go. 
So, um, um, but if you, you know, you go all the way, let's say to lithium iron phosphate, it's a completely different beast. Uh, that, uh, you know, NMC has a thermal runaway in the 200 degree range. Uh, LFP has a, uh, a thermal runaway in the 600 degree range. So it's just, it's way safer. Um, um, so uh, it has to do with the kind of the structure of the materials. And, and um, so nickel is going to become increasingly important um, in those NMC um, uh, materials or NCA materials, whichever we you know the, the, the future of those, because it's going to dominate it as we figure out how to make additives to replace the cobalt. Um, it will it will just become more and more dominant. Uh, the issue is that uh, nickel is produced in several different ways, particularly in Indonesia. Um, they have uh, they have some practices like. Um, like uh, instead of having uh, on land uh, reclamation ponds, they're dumping it in the ocean. And well, the auto manufacturers cannot deal with that, right? So they're looking for ways to sort of clean it up. And I think that's at the basis what uh, what Elon Musk is asking for. Um, we're in a we're in a, in a very interesting position as a as a company with cathode producing technology that eliminates the sulfate waste stream. So typically, cathode materials are made by taking nickel sulfate, manganese sulfate, mixing them up in a chemical process, getting rid of the sulfate, and and taking the nickel, manganese, and cobalt then into a secondary process, mix it with lithium into a cathode material. And that sulfate is a waste stream. And, and, and there's a lot of it. And when you're shipping the nickel around the world, it's only 20% nickel. The rest is sulfate and water. So you have all the shipping costs, you have the waste stream. Um, our process completely eliminates that waste stream and uses everything in the product to go into the cathode. And that, uh, we, just, we just take nickel in in a different form. But there's an interesting opportunity that comes out of that. It also allows us to plug in a little further upstream and integrate. And if we can integrate more closely with the nickel producers, let's say, um, there's an opportunity there uh, to uh, simplify the supply chain and reduce waste and become more um, uh, you know, environmentally um, sustainable. Um, and, and obviously, there's a call for that. Um, so that's kind of where we see the we see the future going, and and because we're a process company with a technology that plugs in really well, we think there's great sort of integration uh, uh, possibilities there. That's a fantastic story. That's that's actually reality, which is great because you know one of the challenges we get as as EV promoters that I am is you know a lot of people come back and say, well, you know the whole carbon footprint of producing an EV versus internal combustion and in the life cycle is much less where it's actually proven not to, not to be the case. Uh, you're upfront manufacturing, as you said, and, and you know to deal with dealing with the mining and the extraction and the processing of the components for EVs uh, create you know are more more of a carbon footprint. But you you gain you gain that back really 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 quickly in the operations of the EV. And then also there are more organizations now starting up and running to deal with disposals of battery packs after yes. the cycle. Not not only just repurposing, but that if when you get to disposal, there are much safer and cleaner ways to do that. Yeah, you know, battery recycling is uh, is kind of in its early stages right now, and, and until the volumes of dead batteries are, are out there, when, um, uh, uh, you know, we're going to see uh, an evolution in the technologies and evolution in the approaches. But it's definitely there. I mean, it's basically just you're basically just mining a concentrated form of the of the of the materials, and uh, you just have to bash them apart and separate out all the components, and then recombine them again into batteries. Absolutely. A uh, couple last things I want to talk about. I, I do want to get into solid state, but let's leave that for the last. But uh, actually, no, let's talk about that now. You brought that up earlier. Um, that seems to be, I guess, where a lot of early, a lot of research and, and development is going, is heading, is maybe that's the silver bullet for us, is solid state. What's your thoughts on that? 
Um, yeah, solid state is definitely the, the holy grail of lithium ion batteries. So it doesn't change the cathode material. At the end of the day, it's still going to be a lithium cobalt nickel based type of material, lithium iron. So the, the, the cathode materials are largely the same. Um, but once you get rid of that liquid electrolyte um, you uh, and you replace it with a solid, uh, you end up with a um, with a battery that can can well you, you end up with a non-flammable electrolyte which is uh, helps a lot on the safety front it also acts as a, a protective barrier from uh, um, uh, accidental shorting between the two electrodes and uh, and that's uh, another sort of big part of it it also enables the use of of a pure lithium anode which can make the battery much thinner and more energy dense so those are really the those are the uh, those are the reasons it's the holy grail and so if you can double the energy density, uh, take away the flammability of the battery, um, it, becomes a, uh, it becomes an incredibly important sort of driver in the, in, the, uh, in the space. However, there are many challenges, and those challenges include the interface between all these solids. So it's easy to take two solids, put them together, pour some liquid between them, and then they're all connected. But it's hard to put three solids together and have them all touch down at, at, a, at an atomic level. Um, because there's going to be a whole bunch of bumps there that keeps them touching each other. So the key is how do you how do you make those interfaces um, um, really really uh, consistent um, so that you don't have uh, you don't have resisting resistive buildup somewhere or you don't have uh, you don't have it breaking open or cracking apart as the battery flexes. Uh, there's all kinds of things that can happen. Or as things expand, it can track. You're moving lithium back and forth. One side expands, one side shrinks, and then you and then the other, and it happens like this. So you got this kind of breathing action going from one side to the other in the battery and if it's it's all connected with solids they those things get stressed and they break apart so the key is to find materials that don't con- contract and, and 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 expand and also to provide sort of effective interface between all those solids and and so we've got some um our, our very interesting technology on that front are our, our, what we call our high voltage spinel uh, or or this is the material that has no cobalt in it um, is 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 mechanically very stable it doesn't it doesn't expand and contract so it, it's it's a natural contender for uh, for that kind of interface and it also charges very quickly and has we built a, um, a coating around it that interfaces it very well with the solid electrolyte. And, and we've got we've had some very positive tests with some of our partners and we look forward to it. We think it's got a really bright future as, a, as, as that material that, that powers the, uh, the, the solid state battery. In that future, do you think solid state batteries are achievable in this decade or do you think it's something that might take longer than that? Well, well, first of all, solid-state batteries have been around a long time. Um, they, they've uh, they've existed in radio-controlled airplanes and, and yeah, drones and, and applications like that to, to some extent, um, mostly in what we call a polymer um, uh, type of battery. But as you move into um, as you move into something that's more larger volume and commercially viable, you have to solve the the economic side of it. Like, how do you make these batteries so that uh, so they're not just going to hobbyists? They're, go- they're going into to real applications. So it has to do with it has to do with um, developing the manufacturing techniques that are cheap enough and developing the the raw materials that go into them uh, that are that, or the, the the materials that go into them to be cheap enough and um and that's happening today i mean there's already uh, uh there's at least a couple dozen uh, solid state battery companies and we're working with a few of them testing our materials and, and collaborating on that interface um, we expect to see some level of of uh of uh, adoption in by mid decade in probably not in, not in electric vehicle batteries, but certainly in in, in lesser uh, applications like consumer electronics 
um, and things like that. Where well, that's that's where the proving ground will be. It'll be in, it'll be in high value things like drones, and then it'll go to consumer electronics. And as the volumes build up and the manufacturing expertise gets better and better, then it'll start to move into high high volume applications like electric vehicles. So by the end of the decade, we could see that turning point. We might be at the point by the end of the decade where where solid state batteries just so, suddenly um, uh, you know. Uh, flip the switch and we and we go into a fairly major adoption rate kind of become the new normal yeah yeah uh, but, but lots of challenges uh, all, along the way of course but hey we're, we're the human race we like challenges right yeah, for sure so part of it um lastly i want to talk about uh, three trends driving the ev battery market today that you had highlighted in, in, uh, to me um and and they certainly uh, make sense today significant investment capital that's required for that uh, repatriation of the supply chain back to, in this case, North America, but you know we could we could we could categorize that that to other countries as well. And then, of mm-hmm. course, the impacts of of COVID nineteen, because these these impacts we're seeing now, both socially and economically, are going to be longer you know term impacts than many people think they they, they will be. Uh, so, what's your take on all those three trends? Well, let's go backwards. I'll start with the COVID one. Of course, yeah. that's always so topical uh, these days. Um, uh, uh, you know, one of the one of the obvious things that came out of COVID right out right out of the gate was how everyone how the city skies all got bluer, right? Yeah. And, and I think everyone realized uh, it was just such an obvious thing that that the electrification of the uh, of the transportation system is going to going to make a healthier environment to live in. So. Uh, I think that dawned on everyone very quickly, even though I think everyone knew it, but it just because there's glaring examples staring them in the face. Um, so, you know, that's a really important thing. But but I, I think the, the big driving factor that's going to come out of this, excuse the pun, um, is that the um, that coming out of COVID, um, uh, governments around the world are all going to be hitting the infrastructure or the uh, or the manufacturing button uh, to restart their economies. China's already doing it. Um, I think uh, you know North America and Europe are kind of poised, but not quite ready. And I think once they hit those infrastructure buttons, it's going to be it's going to be very uh, environmentally focused as well and clean tech focused. So whether that's building out the charging grid or or, or building out the uh, the supply chain, and that would be not just batteries, but of course the the raw the materials that go into the batteries, like the cathode, or like the 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 raw materials that go into cathodes, so like the like the nickel and the lithium and, and so we're, you know, we we believe those are going to be very important things. But that's just one of the three things. The other two, which are really key, is that is the investment community is looking for product to invest in that is uh, in environmental, social, and governance based uh, uh, financing, and what what is known as ESG um, ESG financing, and, and and it's a it's a huge amount of capital. We're seeing it right now pour into public vehicles like Tesla and Nikola, and and that's partially why those those valuations have gone up like that because there isn't a lot of product, and so they're looking for investment, and that's driving a big part of the, the, the industry as well. And then, and then the, the third element, uh, which had to do with the repatriation, is, is similar in a way to the infrastructure button, but this is more about competing with Asia. Um, you know, I think, I think that uh, countries outside of China are looking to try to take back some of that supply chain. China, China supplies 100% of the world's electric bat- uh, or battery graphite. And probably I don't know what the number is on the cathode front, but it's well, well above 50 percent um, uh, uh, the number. So, you know, I think and, and a majority of the batteries are produced in either in China, Japan or Korea. And, and so uh, really 
you know, North America is looking to pull some of that supply chain back. Europe's actually well on its way to doing that. And, and that's going to do, uh, that, that's also going to do us great favors, I think, on the, on the electric vehicle side of things. And, and it's fantastic for Nano One because it just means that there's more opportunity uh, outside of Asia as well. And one, uh, one question about the Canadian government's involvement in Nano One. You guys have, have worked a lot with them, but they've been a great contributor into helping you guys out. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the Canadian government and actually it turns out the provincial government have been very supportive uh, of Nano One. Uh, we have uh, brought in a total of 13 to 14 million dollars in in federal and provincial support um, uh, from STTC, from what, what used to be called the Automotive uh, um, uh, so Supplier Innovation Program, STTC Sustainable Development Technology Canada, uh, uh, NRC IRAP, so that's the Industrial Research Assistance Program, and also um, and now the BC Ice Fund. So uh, these are uh, uh, these are all organizations that brought in kind of non-dilutive funding into the company, and that adds to obviously that adds to the to the money we've raised through sort of venture sort of capital means on the public markets. And uh, in total, um, that's a, that amounts to about a third of the money that we brought into the company. So incredibly supportive, uh, very good leverage for our investor base. And, and actually, our investor base provides very good leverage for the government as well. So it's, uh, uh, it's a big kind of happy family. Um, the government seems to be, these programs are very happy with the results that we've had. Um, we've had follow-on financing from them um, because of the success, successes we've had. Uh, yeah, all told, um, uh, I think we're really happy to be in Canada and, and seeing this kind of support. Well, that's great because it's it's very important to have government involvement. You know, we know that beyond just policy and process. Um, you know, everybody talks about ZEV mandates on this stuff. Yeah, they're all important, but there are also other things that governments can do, like what you know, supporting organizations like yourselves and others that are in this uh, in this field, this this type of technology for the right reasons, and that really can make a difference as we move forward. So that's a great story to hear. Any final uh, comments you want to add to the audience here before we sign off? I mean, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a ton of stuff. My brain is kind of swelling at all this knowledge I've got. Well, uh, you know what? Look, we've covered a lot of topics. Solid state, nickel, uh, the whole works. I think um, uh, let's give it a rest for now. And and, uh, and, and hopefully your, uh, your your base will come back with with, yeah. uh, with questions and answers. And, we, and there'll be an opportunity in the future to, to expand even more. Certainly hope that, yeah. Um, I certainly hope for that. I mean, again, it's a great story. Nano One, check them out. You guys are public, uh, I understand, so you can get all the information on the website uh, about what you guys are doing um, and some great market opportunities. And I do wish you all the best and success. Uh, I love hearing, again, Canadian success stories. I will keep my eyes on you guys and uh, follow up. And yeah, well, you know, maybe in six months or so, uh, or part of next year, we'll have a follow-up conversation and see how these trends that you're talking about and some of the analysis, how we've either further achieved um, to, uh, our footsteps towards that, or maybe some of them might have actually happened. Fantastic. After you, can, you can go to our website for more information. And as you say, we're, uh, we're a publicly listed company on the, on the Venture Exchange at, at, at the TSX. Excellent. Thank you very much. Well, thanks again, Dan, for taking the time. Appreciate it. Uh, all the best to you, and we'll definitely keep in touch. Yeah, much appreciated, Ken. Hope to uh, meet you in uh, person sometime. I hope so. I love. Uh, I used to live out in the West Coast, so I'd love to get back. Come for a tour. And for everybody listening, thank you very much for taking the time to listen to the audio podcast. Please, I hope everybody is staying safe and following uh, public guidelines wherever you live. 
And until the next show, um, you know how to find me. You can always watch my videos at the EV Revolution channel on YouTube. Please check those out as well and subscribe. And I'll try to get a little bit more frequent on these podcasts as we move forward. Again, it's just tough to find people sometimes that want to talk. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Take care and we'll talk to you next time.